We're diving back into Romans. We've been walking through the book of Romans for a couple of years now. Um, to say that out loud, but it's true. We started just after COVID started, I think, or just before COVID started. But the Lord knows. We've taken a few side jaunts here, there, and everywhere, and uh, we're taking our time and digging down. Like today, we're going to do verse 2 of Romans 12. We're just going to do one verse. I may actually come back and preach the same verse next week because there, there, there are things that need to be unpacked in here as we, we delve down, and there's such rich stuff. Even as we get to these practical chapters here in uh, 12 to 16, uh, Paul doesn't want it to be legalism, so he grounds it in Romans 1 to 11. He wants us to understand the gospel and what God has done before he asks you to do one thing, right? And so he wants all of this response in the Christian life to be grounded in the freeness of his grace and the salvation that he's already given us. We're going to look at verse 2 today. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 and 2 for context, and then we'll dive into verse 2. Hear then the word of God. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, reasonable worship. Now, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we uh, come to you this morning. Your church has gathered to sit at your feet and to learn of you, to know you, to love you, to worship you, to respond to you, for you to shape our hearts and our minds so that we might walk with you in ways that please you, that are good and perfect and acceptable. Father, show us your will. Show us your heart. Lead us this morning, not just to understanding, not just to information, but to transformation by your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Holy surrendering ourselves to God. Holy giving ourselves to him as a Living sacrifice, Paul says, is the normal Christian life. It is not for some exceptional people. It's for every person that knows and loves and follows Jesus. In fact, you can't really follow Jesus unless you've wholly surrendered your life to deny yourself and to follow Him. You can't follow Him if you're following you or the world or something else. And so the normal Christian life, he says, is surrendering ourselves to Him. And this surrender is a surrender of love. I think it's the same thing when he says that you are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength and your living. That is to surrender yourself to him in love. To give yourself to him wholly and completely. And Paul's saying that since Romans 1 to 11 are true, the only rational, the only spiritual, the only right response that is possible is to offer ourselves in this way as a living sacrifice. Not to die once and be done, but to die every day and to follow him. To die every day to our own will, to do his will. To our own thinking, to think like him. A living sacrifice, and so he's saying before you do one thing for God, which is what he's getting into in these chapters, which are so practical and specific, before you do one specific thing, he says, 
Give yourself wholly to him. Live for his worship and to serve him. And he says, don't just do it once. It's not something, the whole idea of being a living sacrifice is that it's not something that you do once. The verbiage here, the, 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 the tense of the verbiage here is a continuous action. It's, a, it's the verbiage that gives the idea that this is something that you keep doing, that you're to surrender yourself to God and to keep surrendering, right? To give yourself to him and keep giving, to yield yourself to him and keep yielding, to every moment of every day. Live for him, which is what 2 Corinthians 5.15, we touched that last week, which said that he died for all that those who live, that's you and I, who live in Christ. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. But you would live for him. Right? That's what it means to be a living sacrifice and to surrender, to not live for you, to do your will and to follow your ways, but to live for him. And what does that look like? What does it look like to live for him then and, and to surrender ourselves for him? And in some ways, it, it looks like the next five chapters in all the very specifics that he gets down into. But it also looks like the whole of the New Testament in all the ways that he defines and calls us out of the world into himself. But what it looks like is also verse 2 which is really a summary. So he calls us to this presentation, and, and in verses 3 and following in the chapters, he gets very specific, but in verse 2, he summarizes what it looks like first before he gets down into the specifics of it. And that's what we're looking at here in verse 2, and he does it, he says it both first negatively and then positively. We see it negatively in the first part. Do not be conformed to this world. It's what we're not supposed to do. Then he states it also positively. Don't just not be conformed, he says, but be transformed. Be changed by the renewal of our minds to the will of God. Testing, and testing you can discern His will. And so offering our God, ourselves to God means repenting of thinking and living according to the world. Right? It means repenting. It, it means repenting of thinking and living in ways that are in, in accord with, in harmony with, that are in conformity to the world. So that our minds are free to be renewed in a new way of thinking. And so a new way of living and responding. To allow the Word of God and the Spirit of God to transform us and conform us then to the image of Christ. You remember in Romans 8, it says you were predestined to be conformed. Same kind of a word here where it says don't be conformed to the world. Why? Because you've been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And so this transformation is out of the ways and thinking of this world into the ways and thinking of Christ, the very mind of Christ in the, into the image of God. He says he's be, we're being renewed in the image of God. In the fall, the image was broken, and in Christ, that image is renewed. And so the Christian life is this sacrifice. You ever think of your life that way? It's a sacrifice, one that keeps on living, but that is given wholly to God. Offering mind and body requires us turning our back on the world, is what he is saying. There's a very conscious 
turning of our backs on the world, which is why Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, if anyone wants to bear my name, if anyone is going to be a Christian and a Christ follower, if anyone wants to walk in the way that I'm walking to come after me, if anyone would do that, he has to deny himself. Turn your back, in a sense, on yourself. And what does that mean? It means, on, on, again, my way of thinking, just starting with me and what I think and starting with my will. Here's what I feel like doing. Here's what I feel. It's, it's turning our back on living for ourselves and from ourselves to living for him to serve him. So you have to take up your cross, he says, daily if you're going to follow me. So do not be conformed to this world. To conform. Right? It means to, the word that is used here is used in the idea of using a mold to make something. If you want to make a little statuette a certain way, you create a mold that is shaped in it, and, and then you pour like molten metal or something into the mold, and when it, the metal goes in there, it's, it's forced into the shape of the, the object that you want. The mold forces whatever you put in it into that shape, and you end up with whatever the mold was a form for. Right? And so it's forcing something into a certain shape. And what he is saying is that the world exerts a certain pressure on you and I. That there's a certain pressure, and you and I are the molten metal or whatever it is that is going in. And it exerts the pressure on us to force us into a certain shape, into a certain form. Sometimes it's subtle, like the culture, we swim in it and we watch TV, and we listen to the radio, and we watch the news, and we, you know, read its books, and we go this way, and sometimes it's very subtle, the ways that it shapes our thinking, and the way that it forms us, and sometimes it's just outright aggressive pressure on us to conform. We see a lot of that going on right now, just an aggressive pressure to conform to their way of thinking. When it says don't be conformed to this world, we need to think of the world as humanity, not as trees and grass and rocks. Not conforming, you know, don't be conformed to the trees of this world, but humanity. He's talking about all of the human world and human society, right? All humanity and all human things. Our society and our cultures, the way that we create them. He says, don't be conformed to human society in the ways that they think and behave, but rather we need to be reshaped, conformed to the image of Christ. So God says, don't allow ourselves to be shaped into the world's image, but reshaped. And and this has been God's calling on his people since the very beginning. There's always been this sense of, there, there is this, humanity is fallen, world is fallen, so society and culture is fallen. You can see some of the beauty that's left in it of God's image and in, in art and in so many, there are so many good things in humanitarian uh, aid that is going on. There's a lot of beauty in it, but in, 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 in total, there is a fallenness to it. And he says we need to to see that, and he's always said in some sense we have to be set apart. If we're going to glorify him, we're going to honor him, we're going to be like him, we're going to have to be different. In Leviticus 18, verses 3 and 4, he says this, You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived. And you say, you shall not do like they do in America. 
where you live. Right? You will not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I'm bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules. Right? You'll keep my statutes. You'll walk in them. Why? Because I am Yahweh, your God. So it is to his voice that we listen, to worship and serve him, to belong to him, to be like him. In some sense, it's going to demand us being holy, which we said means in a very literal sense, being set apart, apart from the world, set apart to him for the express purpose of his worship, his likeness, his service. Ephesians 4, 21 and 24, when Paul is talking about what the redemption that is in Jesus Christ looks like. What is God doing when he, when he saves us and brings us into Christ and we are in him, right, as we go back to Romans 6 and <clears throat> so on. He says this is what's going on. We're being taught, and this is what I'm thinking about whether to come back to next week or not and spend a whole week on this renewing of the mind. So often we, we want to talk about the very practical stuff and we miss the idea that Paul says it all starts in the mind. It all starts in your head, in your heart. It all starts in the inner places. Right? It all starts in your imagination and what captures it. Right? It all starts there and in the renewing of the inner man, the inner woman, right? then is this freedom to be, he says, it, 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 you're being taught, then the truth is in Christ, then to put off your old self it belongs to your former way of life. You can say it belonged to the world and the ways of the world. And we're putting off this former way of life because it's corrupt through deceitful desires and its fallenness. In other words, do not conform any longer to your former manner of life and the deceitful desires. And rather than to what? Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Right? Again, Paul comes after the mind. There's a stewardship of the mind to him. And to put on a new self that is be transformed, right? C created and recreated. The new self we're putting on, he says, is created after the likeness of God. Don't be conformed to the likeness of the world, the image of the world, but rather to be recreated, transformed into the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, which is very much unlike the world. That's not what the world is like in true righteousness and holiness in the image of God. And the Bible reveals the full extent of our fallenness, and we know this, that there is a rebellion in the world that Jesus came to save us from, to save us from the guilt of it, but also the corruption of it, that we would not be conformed to it. He says in Ephesians, this is earlier, in Ephesians 4 is where he says, put on the new man. In Ephesians 2, he had already told us, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked lived, following the course of this world, conformed to the course of this world, the way of this world, in its thinking, in its living, in its behaving. You once walked following the course of this world, which is following the prince of the power of the air, which is another way of saying the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And the course of this world is disobedience. So I have to turn from our disobedience to deny ourselves and to follow 
Christ. So we have to understand that the course of this world exerts a pressure on us. If we are not aware of it, then there's no chance of us not being conformed to it. We have to understand that there is a radical break between the course of this world and the course that we follow when we follow Jesus. And it exerts a pressure on us to think, and it does have everything to do with the mind, which is why our our TVs and our screens and what we're listening to is so formative. I've seen it so much over the last two years over COVID, where people were less and less with other people and more in front of their screens for everything. And how they learned everything from their screens. Everybody would come to me, not to have a conversation, but to tell me all that they now know from their screens, solely, fully shaped and formed by certain sources where we've picked them. There's this pressure to shape us to its pattern. And we see this nowhere more starkly. If you, if you look at the polls that are coming out about our children, about 30 and under, from our young people who are so involved in that world, but who are more involved in that world than in, in this world in many ways, the church world, the scripture world. I quote from Kevin Orris, who one of the articles I looked, I've been, I read this probably once a week, an article on this kind of thing, sections, and it says stuff like this, today's kids are becoming screen disciples. It's where they go for advice, right? Their friend or their whatever, their group, their whatever, you know, to I show my ignorance when I start naming things like Instagram, TikTok, you know, wherever they're getting their, their information, right? He says they're screen disciples. It's where they go for advice. It's where they go to what they think and what to be, how to behave. And so there is a lot that's going on in our culture and our world right now, and our children are being shaped in its image. And so many of our young people have very different values. They're starting to grow very different values than you and I would have. I would say were strong biblical values because their values are being formed not by their discipleship under the Word of God. They're, they're being formed by the culture, and more and more of them are developing liberal views toward morality and all kinds of other things. They're being shaped and molded into the culture and into the world's image, and a lot of it has to do with where they get you know, what to think and how to behave. It's where they go for relationships and identity. Compare their screen time with church time. And we just simply have to admit our kids are screen disciples. They're, they're, they're discipled more by TV and the images and the stuff that they're getting from their screens in various forms, whether it's their phone and their tablet and their TV and their computer. And they're being shaped far more by that than they are by the Word of God. And we're, we're finding it more and more in the disconnect as these polls come out and show in the values generationally. Our young people are being discipled by the world. They have so much input and so much influence, so much more than the Word uh, and that God does. And my friends, this is a cultural moment where the world is exerting enormous pressure on us, trying to force us into its mold. And they're coming after our children, and I, I, don't know, I never know what to say from up here, and I try to stay away from a lot of different things Uh, you know, to to be controversial, but on almost every platform, they're literally coming after our children. They want to shape our children in a certain way of thinking. They want to desensitize them to certain patterns of living. They want to make our children think certain things are normal. 
And so they come after our children. They want to conform them from public school and what they want to do. And I'm thinking to Disney, where the stated purpose, I guess I'm just watching this unfold. You have to be watching it unfold, where Florida makes this law that you can't teach children kindergarten to third grade about gender fluidity and sexuality. Kindergarten to third grade, our youngest children, they want the right to, from the government level and the public standard, to indoctrinate our children. And when they say, you know what, at least off, until, off limits until fourth grade, then you're free to indoctrinate them. And Disney comes out and says they are absolutely going to war on behalf of the government to undo laws to protect our children because they want, they want the right for our children to be shaped at the youngest ages under things that you and I would probably say no. And not only that, they've come out and said, in, in addition to that, we will be your propaganda arm. We are going to begin into all of our media empire and all of our venues. We are going to shape this message for our children. They've come out and said it. We're going to do this. We're going to have more and more of these images and these characters in this way so that, you know, we're going to become the propaganda arm. How many of us, my friends, we are already addicted to Disney? Whether it's Disney Plus and going to Disney. I mean, everybody makes that pilgrimage, what, once every couple years these days? I mean, we are addicted to Disney, and they have gone to war. What do we do? We're paying them to steal our children. It's so much bigger than that. I just picked the biggest thing that's in the news right now. But my friends, it is so much bigger than that. It's, it's everything. We, we swim in this water, you know, like fish. And there are the subtle ways that the culture chases gets all of us. And not just our children, my friend, but you and us as adults. It applies to everything from the meaning of life to the American dream how we respond to evil, and he's going to get very specific, how we respond to evil. It's about sex, it's about money, it's about success, it's about the way we think about all these things, and whether we think about them biblically, whether we think about them in a way that is conformed to the thinking of this world. James chapter 4, verse 4, James says this, you adulterous people, exclamation mark, who's that? Right into the church. saying that to the church. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Enmity means hatred. And listen to this sentence. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He says there's a choice to be made, my friends. John says it this way in 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. My friends, we love the world. We are addicted to so many things. And the scripture calls us to such radical change. That's why he uses the word metamorphosis here in a minute. He says, don't love the world and the things in the world. If anyone does love those things, the love of the Father is not in him. Right? You can't love the world and love the Father because he is at odds with the world. 
right? It, the world is against him. It is anti-God and his ways. And we can't love, you can't serve two masters. If you love the way of the world, you're not loving the Father. You are in rebellion. We love the world when we begin to, when we begin to love and approve what the world loves. And it becomes our way of thinking and our way of life. We're more in tune with the culture than we are with the Bible. Dane Ortland, in his book, Deeper, says that if our heart's deepest loyalties belong to anything other than God, we're simply playing games. But if we, if we haven't done verse 1, if we've not surrendered ourselves to God and offered ourselves to Him as a living sacrifice in which we will not conform to the things of this world, if we have not made this surrender, then our loyalty does still lie with the world. If you're not surrendered to God, then you are surrendered to everything else you're exposed to. And we are friends with the world. He says, my friends, do not love the world. Do not love the things that are in the world. Do not get pressed into the world's mold. He says, no, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Right? Transform. The word here is in the Greek is metamorphosis. We know that word in English. We just transliterate it straight across. And we know what metamorphosis is. We we think of that, we think of what? Caterpillar and a butterfly, right? That's the classic metamorphosis, right? And that's what he says. You need to not be conformed to the world, but you need to be metamorphed from a caterpillar into a butterfly, right? From the image of the world into the image of God. You need to have radical change from being one thing to being another thing. You are a one thing by gravity and by birth and by just not even trying, you are a child of disobedience and of the world. Unless there is a metamorphosis, a radical change from being one thing to being another thing, which is a Christ lover and a God follower and a God honorer according to his word. Real change, radical change from being a friend of the world to being a friend of God, which is more radical than we like to think of it. Because we like to keep those things very close together and have a foot in each. Loving the ways of the world as opposed to loving God's ways. See, he says that this transformation is going to happen and we can't miss it. And that's why I'm thinking about coming back to it. Is this transformation that he says should happen is by the renewal of your mind. It's by the, by the changing of the way you think. The mind, the reorientation of the whole self, the mind really is at the core here. It's interesting, he uses mind instead of heart or soul. But we do think, and I would think, is he, where he's come from and everything else, that this is just the core center of who we are and the way we think and the what, way we imagine. And there needs to be a renewal of this inner orientation of ourselves from loving and, and participating in the things that we're addicted to in the world to being a friend of God and becoming more and more addicted of, of forming our tastes according to the, the things of God instead of the things in the world. This mind, the total inner orientation, our moral attitude, our way of thinking, our mind set. When too often we're like fish in water 
And our mindset is simply the mindset of all of those around us and all that we're watching and listening to. If you remember Romans chapter 8, verse 6, he said this, to set the mind on the flesh is death. The problem is the mind is set on the flesh by default, by gravity, by birth. That's what it is when you don't try. You know, we're, we're just locked into it. He says, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed in the renewing of our minds. Because apart from the working of the Holy Spirit to renew our minds according to the word of God, we are enslaved to the thinking of the world. We're enslaved to it unless the Holy Spirit is setting us free Right, is showing us the truth, is reworking the pattern of our thinking, the way we see the world and think about the world and moral choices and, and how we think about our money and our marriage and our children and our lives and our work and everything else, unless, unless it is literally being transformed by the, the Scripture, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it is conformed and will be conformed to the world. And so we need to repent. Isn't it interesting that the word repent in Greek is metanoia, right? We already heard it's two words in the Greek, metanoia. We saw meta just a minute ago and metamorphe, right? To change the form of something, to metamorphose. And so meta is the change. And so repentance literally is metanoia. Noia is your mind. And so repentance is literally to change your mind, to change your, the way you think. If I think that this is fun and this is good and I enjoy this and this isn't bad, and then the scripture comes along and says, yes, it is. It is not good and it is, and it is bad. And, and it's to change my way of thinking about it, to repent of thinking and feeling that way and living that way, to follow. But again, it comes to the mind. Even repentance, he says, is a work that starts in the inner self, in the mind, where our orientation moves away from the formity of the world to the following of Christ. How do we think like God's friends? Our thinking has to be renewed and harmonized with his thinking. Right? That's how you think like God's friend. Your mind has to be changed and renewed to his thinking, to his way of thinking, which we have here in his word. Right? My friends, if we start with our own thoughts and feelings, and this is where so much of our under 30 crowd lives, they start with their own thoughts and feelings and what their friends are saying and what the culture is saying. Well, that sounds right and that sounds nice and, well, that sounds loving or this sounds, and we just go with what we think and what we feel and what our friends are saying and we're just swimming in the water. If we start with ourselves, God is going to be an idol that we create in our heads. We made him up. Because I've gotten to my view of God and what he approves and what he is like by thinking my way there. Right? There's the old adage, once upon a time, God created us in his own image. And ever since then, we've been returning the favor. That we just decide what God is like in our own minds. We, we create God in our own image rather than the, it is only the scripture that can correct our idolatry, our wrong thinking about God. Because God is the only one who can tell us what he's like. Just like I'm the only one who can tell you what's going on inside of me. And if I don't tell you, you won't know. 
And the only way to know what God is like, if, you, if he tells us, and he has, he is there, and he is not silent, and he has spoken, and what he has spoken has to judge what we think. If we start with us, this is with so much theology these days, is from the ground up, from human up, right? And we decide what God is like, as opposed from starting with God and his word and letting him judge the thoughts and the intents of our minds. Isaiah 55 says it this way. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Because they're wrong thoughts. you got wrong thoughts about God, wrong thoughts about your morality, and wrong thoughts about all these things. And the first thing we need to do, the first thing he says is we need to repent of our wicked thoughts, of our wrong thinking, of our unbiblical thinking. Let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. For my thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts. Right, your thoughts are not in line with my. We need to start that way. If you're thinking it and you've just arrived there and you think you got it all figured out, there's a good chance you're wrong. Why? Because his thoughts are not your thoughts. And his thoughts are higher than your thoughts, right? And that's the context of that Isaiah passage, right? My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. You think that's the right way? You just kind of arrived there? Well, let him tell us. My ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. As high as the heavens are over the earth, my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Don't start with your thoughts. You'd be crawling in the mud. If we surrender to him and turn away from the world and listen to him, then his word humbles us and changes us. This is how we discern the will of God. Not by listening to the Twitter feed or examining my emotions and my feelings or talking to two or three friends and anecdotal stories about this or that or so-and-so. That's not how we arrive at discerning the will of God. Well, I got all these different things to bring. Turn away from the world and listen. And God's word judges us and humbles us and changes us. This is what's wrong with so much of the church and so many Christians. We're listening to the culture and we're listening to our feelings and we're not listening to God. Theology is a top-down project that begins with God and not with us. It begins with His thoughts and His ways imparted and taught to us. Scripture judges and corrects our idolatry. It shows us who God is and saves us from wrong thoughts about God. The world has so many idolatrous wrong thoughts in their head about who God is because they've made it up. 2 Corinthians 3.16, a scripture most of you are familiar with, says it this way, all the scriptures God breathed, it comes from his mouth, God breathed by God, and so it is profitable, it is useful, the purpose of it is this, it's twofold, or you could say fourfold, but the first two words for teaching and reproof, which means it's supposed to teach us the truth and to reprove or to rebuke or to judge, wrong thinking, right? So the first set of words there, it's profitable, it's useful. The purpose of it is to teach us and to correct our wrong thinking, right? And then the second set of words, he said, goes on to say, and it's also good for correction and training in righteousness. That is to correct our wrong living and to train us in righteousness and right living. Right? The scripture is there to change our minds so it will change our lives. Right? To 
to rebuke our wrong thinking, our crawling in the mud thinking, and to train us in what it means to be righteous and to follow him. Hebrews 4.12 says this, the word of God is living and it's active and it's sharper than a double-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrows, and it discerns the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts and no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Right? And what he is saying is this, the word of God exposes us. It exposes our wrong thinking and our wrong living before the one whom we have to do with who will give an account, who judges us. And, and, and it exposes us, not to judge us, but to save us. Right? The word does this work in us. It's surgery. The sword of his surgery, soul and marrow, opening us up to show us where we're wrong so he can make us right. Remember how sin entered the world? Close with this. Listening to the devil and ignoring and disobeying God's words. You know what the very first words out of the devil's mouth is? As we have them recorded in the scripture. The first words out of the devil's mouth. Did God actually say? Did he say that? Right? How, many, how many young people do I talk to these days? Did God really say that? And it's not because they've read it and studied it and see it and understand it from a, you know, a biblical redemptive point of view and they've seen what the scripture says in its context because they've surrendered themselves to him and they love him and they're a living sacrifice and they're hearing his word. No, it's because they're not doing any of that and they're swimming in the world. Did God really say that? It's the devil's first words. Unless we saturate our minds with the word of God in private reading in our Sunday schools, I have to tell you, and this is, you know, I guess a minor rebuke. I don't don't know who said it, so I'm going to say it anyway if I step on your toes. But how many people have told me, you know, I don't like Sunday school because it's kind of like college or it's kind of like a classroom or it's kind of like work or school or it's like school. Who likes school? And so we don't. I'll tell you, we live in the most biblically illiterate generation in the history of of Christianity almost. And the reason is because we don't like school. Because we don't want to do the work to know the word of God. We want a dialogue. I mean, I mean there are all the different things I hear what people want. And I'm here to tell you what you need is to sit under the teaching of God's word. And let it shape you and judge you and lead you to repentance so that you can be changed and transformed. Proverbs 12 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. It's the age in which we live. But a wise man listens to advice. It's the only way we're going to discern the acceptable, perfect will of God is to let the word of God disciple and teach and form and transform us. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is living and active and gracious to expose our souls. Father, I pray for us. Have mercy on your church. Have mercy on our young people where we see the gap growing, but also on us old people. 
Sometimes they're like fish in water. And we need to be jolted and wakened and transformed and changed in the way that we think, in the way that we live, and what we love, to break our addictions to all the wrong things and to have our loyalties be given over wholly and completely to you as living sacrifices. God, have mercy on your people. Come near by your spirit and accomplish what we cannot. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.